Hello, and welcome to In Orbit, the podcast exploring how technology from space is empowering a better world. Brought to you by the Satellite Applications Catapult. I'm your host, Maggie Adairin-Pocock, and in this series, we'll be discussing some of the incredible and unexpected ways the UK is using space to make huge differences to life on Earth, as well as taking a look forward to some of the amazing innovations we can expect for the future. It's all about health and well-being in this episode, looking at the many ways that utilising satellite data will dramatically change the healthcare system as we know it. I'm joined by the Satellite Applications Catapult's Business Manager for Health and Wellbeing, John VC. Emily Gravestock, Head of Application Strategy at the UK Space Agency. And Adrian Smith, Head of Digital Transformation at the NHS. When it comes to our biggest problems in delivering healthcare, what can space do? The answer? A lot more than we realise. If, in the middle of 2019, someone had told you that you would have more remote consultations with your GP or consultant than face-to-face ones by the end of 2020, would you have believed them? Or that with the help of satellite technology, we can see a vast improvement in the early detection of bowel cancer without the patient even setting foot in a hospital? In medicine, our reliance on tech is nothing new. But COVID-19 has forced many sectors to evolve faster than they probably would have, leading to technological innovation that we might not have thought possible just five years ago. But what does health and well-being in a post-COVID world look like? How much of what we've adapted to during the pandemic will prove to be beneficial in the long run? And what part will space play in our mission to save the NHS? Adrian. You have a background in physics and mathematics and have always been excited by space. Now, you recently turned your attention to how space can influence healthcare. The two components you focused on were geospatial intelligence and ubiquitous connectivity. As the lead of digital transformations for the NHS, what are your thoughts on our move towards remote care? Has it been long in coming? Uh, The NHS is known for about 15 to 20 years that we need to move care into the community. There's too much pressure on hospitals, too many challenges around the care, particularly for the frail and elderly, who we should avoid taking to clinics if we can because they're quite dangerous places. So we've known that the challenge is there, but we've not really grasped the opportunity to use telemedicine and remote monitoring technologies. What COVID has done has made it essential for that to happen. And so suddenly technologies that have been around for many years have started to be adopted. John, in your role as business manager at the Catapult, you're leading efforts looking at how satellite applications can support the areas of health, well-being and the emergency services. Now, part of your job at the start of 2020 was working alongside the healthcare services to advise on the benefits of remote consultations. Now, much like Adrian, you've witnessed a shift in the demand for remote delivery since the outbreak of COVID-19. But what are the challenges now? How can we use integrated technology to make the healthcare experience more efficient and effective for healthcare professionals and patients alike? Yeah, so we heard reports of certain NHS trusts that were doing, you know, 90% uh, face-to-face 
appointments and the other 10% typically were being done over the phone and suddenly um, it, it flipped on its head and nearly 90% or 99% were remote. But as I say, not necessarily all of those remote meant they were video consultations. So, how do we tackle some of the more sizable problems facing the NHS? And how exactly does the UK Space Agency come into it? In June 2018, to mark the 70th anniversary of the NHS, the UK and European space agencies, in partnership with NHS England, asked innovators to bid for a share of a £5 million pot to turn technology originally designed for space into medical applications that could improve treatment and care provided by the NHS. Now, Emily, in your role as Head of Application Strategy at the UK Space Agency, you were heavily involved in cooking up the concept of this partnership. Talk us through how it all came together. The NHS asked us, what is there that we could use satellite-enabled stuff for that would improve our services here in the UK? And we started working with them with a concept for a 70th birthday challenge to take the challenges that the NHS had in that 70th birthday year and we put €5 million towards it through our ESA investment to look at what the answers could be, how we could solve some of the NHS's problems. And those problems at the time were managing long-term conditions and long-term health care, looking at cancer, looking at mental health and well-being, and looking at primary care services and how we could improve those. These areas were really interesting to us and we put a really open call out to the space-enabled community to see what could we do. Loads of ideas came back in. Working with the NHS and ESA, we sifted out the ideas and worked out which were the ones that were going to provide the biggest innovation from a space and satellite perspective, but also the ones that were going to have the biggest impact to the NHS within England and then across the UK and potentially globally. We assessed them and selected four winners, which are now well on their way to becoming a reality. In the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic hitting the UK's shores, the question of what can space do seems to come up again and again. This has led to a renewed partnership between NHS England and the European Space Agency in the UK. This has led to projects being delivered in record time. And it also means that should more peaks of the virus hit, the tools needed to support the healthcare service will already be in place. It's also led to some groundbreaking projects in other parts of the UK. Emily, can you tell me more about these? We did a joined up programme with NHS England and said, what do you need? And they talked about needing a recovery post-COVID. They talked about community medicine. They talked about logistics and sorting out logistics. They talked about having access to patients in their own homes, all of which could be supported by satellite elements. So we had the first projects on, on contract within about six weeks of the COVID piece starting and they ran for about four months. And they looked at things like how you could engage with young people through apps to encourage them to follow social distancing measures, to encourage them to keep up with education, to encourage them to stay engaged. And they've produced excellent results. We've now announced others which involve drones that involve supplying logistics, both across the Scottish waters to an island just off the coast of Scotland, running back to a hospital on the mainland and and also trialling in Essex to look at taking both COVID samples, but also PPE and other supporting logistics between hospital bases and microbiology sites. So you can do those testings, but to enable those logistics to happen more easily. We've also been working with other companies who are looking at COVID safe transportation, getting people to miss fewer hospital appointments by providing that transportation to be safe. 
So we could do all of these things based on what was coming out of this call. And the response from the community once again has been phenomenal, wanting to turn things around to enable us to help save lives. But all of this builds on other work that had happened pre-COVID because working in the year before this, we'd already been working through the Space for Smarter Government programme and the National Space Technology programme to look at how you could deliver defibrillators to beaches in Wales remotely using safe and air corridors. And you could get a defibrillator there in a couple of minutes where it had taken an ambulance 25 to 30 minutes to get to the site. That saves a life. We had another project run through that mechanism, which looked at doing ultrasound for both paediatric and fetal ultrasound in the community. This was particularly important in Wales, where the patients, particularly the expectant mothers, would easily be, in some cases, over an hour from their nearest hospital to go for a fetal ultrasound. And often they've got other young children at home. And it just wasn't practical. So by taking this into the community, we discovered that you could get even better results by doing these ultrasounds in the community than you could get by taking the woman to hospital, purely because of the reliability of the satellite communications that that was using. And the impact on these patients' lives by doing it was huge. And we've now turned a couple of those around to support COVID as well in the community in Wales so that we can use these technologies, not just for what they were originally designed for, but pivoting them so that where there is another aspect of healthcare that it could support, they are utilised. So, we know that cancer is one of the major concerns for the NHS. And it's one of the key areas that the UK Space Agency's partnership focused on. Now, we know that bowel cancer is completely preventable, if it's detected early enough. The majority of tests are done by inserting a tube down the patient's throat, a very invasive, expensive and people-intensive process. But what if there was an easier way to carry out endoscopy? Adrian. Talk us through how satellite technology and enhanced connectivity could help with the early diagnosis. Okay, so capsule endoscopy, uh, the use of a swallowable camera, not much bigger than a paracetamol, but with a camera at both ends, is a beautiful example of how we can now use remote technologies to deliver diagnosis in the community and in the home. The camera has been around for 15 years, but the NHS, particularly in England, has struggled to adopt it for a whole raft of cultural and resistance reasons, not because the technology doesn't work, it does. And indeed, the satellite applications catapult has worked in Scotland to do first a pilot of how you could use capsule endoscopy in the community using satellite technology to grab the data. As the capsule goes through the system, it takes up to 500,000 images and you need to get that image somewhere to be looked at very quickly. So in the Isle of Skye and remote parts of Scotland like Ullapool, we've used satellite connectivity to get that data to a diagnostic centre and look at the imagery and then do a diagnosis on it. So it's been a great move. And it's wonderful, again, that COVID has made a difference to this because England has been very resistant to it. But during COVID, clinics are really difficult to disinfect. They're running at about 20% capacity at the moment. So the realisation that capsule is an alternative to the clinic has suddenly started to happen in England. And there's a 10,000 capsule trial going on at the moment, which I'm hopeful will lead to a, a mass rollout, as it has done in Scotland. And ultimately, what we'll see is we'll see the capsule endoscopy in the comfort of your own home. So we're starting to look at 5G technologies to use virtual reality to enable the clinician to be with you in your home and take you through the procedure. All of the equipment gets delivered to your house. You swallow the capsule at home. 
and it passes through in the normal fashion. You never have to go anywhere. You avoid the exposure. You get a great diagnosis. It's the perfect solution, a perfect example of using connectivity, satellite or otherwise, to deliver remote care in the home. John, can you tell us about the key role you played in this over at the Catapult? We led a piece of work looking at how connectivity can provide a bedrock for different applications. So what is it about connectivity that allows us to think about care in new and exciting ways? And so one of the examples that we hatched onto there was a managed service that a Danish company were delivering at the time. And what they are doing is saying, rather than dragging a patient to an operating table to have an invasive endoscopy or colonoscopy, there is a pill that they can swallow uh, either at a GP surgery or in the comfort of their own home Uh, it can pass through the system and and do a very similar analysis of what's happening within their lower GI. And it's then a case of, from an individual's point of view, it's a lower risk, it's a lower cost from from a social cost point of view. Uh, They don't need to travel in, they don't have the worries of being an operating theatre. They can have friends and family around them if that's what they want. And really, over the last three years since that pilot, the Danish company Corporate Health, are at the point now where they're doing a national rollout across Scotland because they were able to prove that it is affordable in comparison to some of the backlog issues that we're facing in in cancer screening generally, not only in in bowel cancer. It's just as capable to identify and they're already looking at how can they take it further as a service, where can they add and enhance the artificial intelligence to filter some of the images. So at the moment... Without artificial intelligence, a clinician views about 400,000 images of each patient's gut as the camera then uploads that data. With the AI and other projects that we're involved in, it's looking at reducing that significantly down. So the clinician still reviews the imagery, but they only review a subset so they don't get fatigue from each patient. They're able to be directing their expertise at the relevant images, not at the non-value-add images. As well as early detection, finding more effective ways to manage long-term conditions is also key and is of huge benefit to the healthcare system and to patients. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease accounts for a substantial number of deaths in the UK. Adrian, while a cure might not be possible at the moment, how can we use the data from satellites to help patients manage their own conditions? Well, A perfect example of this is a beautiful project that's being funded by the European Space Agency, which is trying to help people with respiratory conditions, COPD in particular, to manage their condition better. If you have a a chronic respiratory disease, you still have to exercise. In fact, it's a fundamental part of managing your condition to get out in in the fresh air and exercise, particularly if that's been caused by smoking historically, which remains the biggest challenge for respiratory diseases. Uh, Just as an aside, you know, 1.6 million people have died from COVID, which is terrible. It's an awful thing to happen. But three times as many people have died from smoking illnesses in the same period. And we mustn't forget these things. So what we're doing with the satellite data is we're giving both the patient and the carer access to air quality data, weather data, bang up to date data from satellite so that they can take good decisions about managing their health. They can use an app to look at how the weather is going to be and ask simple 
questions about what's happening with the air quality. They can ask the question, I need to do a one mile walk, that's what my carers asked me to do. What's the best time of the day and the best route to take to avoid any exposure to bad air quality? And having access to satellite data enables us to do those sorts of um, support tools. And I think we're going to see more and more of that satellite data coming into healthcare uh, conditions, particularly around air quality, but in other diseases too. Uh, and it's a great step forward in the telemedicine journey. One of the things that we've had experience elsewhere has really been about the drive to make sure that digital transformation, which is ultimately what we're talking about, satellites enabling in healthcare, doesn't drive further inequalities. How do we make sure that actually we don't create a digital divide that further exacerbates the divide in health that we already naturally have at a societal level. So how can you do things differently about the way that you lay out your town or your local part of your city to encourage public health exercise, to encourage better walking, walking to school, maybe using you know data from satellites to alter the routes uh, because you want a slightly greener route because that's your preference, or because actually you know that at that time of day, in that particular route, you're at a higher risk of walking through air pollution. So how do you encourage that behaviour change? Providing hospital-level care at home will significantly reduce hospital backlogs. And this, coupled with giving patients access to data to help them manage their own long-term conditions, is very empowering. But can anything be done on the move? Yeah, so at the moment, most of the diagnostics on the move are considered, or the assumption is that that would, that would be in some form of ambulance. Um, you know, and, and there are lots of examples, increasing examples on an almost daily basis about what does a connected ambulance mean, what's a connected ambulance of the future. And at the moment, there are, you know, there are steerable technologies in some of the earlier generations of communications, whether that's 4G and 3G, that have capability to to improve the the connection that you or I naturally have with a consumer-based mobile network. But actually what we're doing is looking at how do we take that into the next generation as well? So how do we take that into 5G so that you can have a steerable antenna that can switch not only between 5G and 4G, but also between satellite so that you know that you'll always have a connection. And the reason that you always need a connection is because... Some of the things that you want to do in the ambulance whilst it's on the move require you to access web forms, require you to access patient data, require you to access clinicians to get that expert opinion. So there are use cases dotted around the country, whether that's you know having parents and clinicians have eyes on a neonatal baby that's being transferred from the hospital they were born in to a specialist neonatal unit. You obviously want that connection to be consistent throughout. You don't want it to drop because suddenly we're outside of a particular provider's 4G network or 5G network. You don't want that anxiety for the clinician. You don't. You certainly don't want that anxiety for the new parents. One of the things that we're seeing increasingly important is the connections into care homes. And for some, that will be a fixed line connection. That will be a you know a standard fibre or copper broadband connection in and, and how do you make sure that it proliferates across the entire site but actually for others it is a case of having a mobile 
deployment that turns off every day or every week and is a service that roams from one care home to another? And how do you do that such that you're not saying to the care home, you have to pay for the infrastructure for us to give you a service that is free? Because then it becomes a paid for service and it becomes a public private debate all over again. And as we've seen over the last nine months, care homes have taken a fair brunt of this pandemic. And it's not only about having care home staff or healthcare professionals that visit care homes, having capabilities in their hands to do examinations, diagnoses, but it's also for the residents, for them as individuals. Why aren't we expecting that they would want to have connections, virtual, digital and physical? Why do we just assume that they can be fine just having physical? And then when a pandemic hits and the physical dries up, we don't know how to support them. So it's really interesting to look at what we can do. Is it something that we can do where, you know, the device is shared between the patient and the staff so that it can be used for you know, for Skype calls to families, it can be used to play games with grandkids, but it can also be used to record notes about capabilities, deterioration of conditions, some of which might want to be shared with family members, some of which is purely just for a clinician-patient relationship. It could be argued that dealing with a global pandemic has forced us to find solutions to some of our biggest healthcare problems. From how to deliver remote care effectively to improving outcomes for those with long-term illnesses. It's helped draw together our health services, space agencies, central government and local authorities in a way we've never seen before. Now, Emily, what does the future hold? How can we build on these developments and how will they benefit us all long-term? For me, the future of satellites in healthcare is really bright and... Somewhat astonishingly, COVID has offered a real opportunity in this area because not just within healthcare, but in other areas as well. COVID has encouraged governments and local authorities all around the world to look at how technology can support what we do and the benefits it can bring. It has challenged us in a whole host of ways that we didn't expect but has really opened people's minds to the benefits technology can bring. And we're in a position now where we're moving away from projects and projects and more projects to actually looking at products and services and to having tools and opportunities available for healthcare providers and for patients which are available today, not available in 10 years' time. We have got massive encouragement from the National Healthcare Services and individual hospital trusts and public health elements all around the country in terms of social care as well to enable us to get these services adopted because they recognise the impact that they can have on people's lives. We also recognise there are still challenges that we are facing. So, for example, where it comes to the drones and logistics that were part of the NHS call, there are still challenges around regulations. There are challenges around ensuring the safety case for this because none of this is worth doing if it's not going to be safe. So we are at a point where we're working hand in hand with the regulators, with the providers of the drones to go actually... Let us show you this is safe. Let's work out how we can do this together, recognising the benefits that there's going to be. We're in a position now where when you talk to a hospital or you talk to a GP surgery or you talk to a public library and say, can I pop a satellite on your roof or receiver on your roof so that we can actually engage with these services? People are saying yes, because they're starting to realise the impact that that's going to have. Or 
could I possibly have somewhere where I could land a drone on the roof of your pathology lab so I could bring you in samples in a different way? And the answer is yes, because people understand that we are now needing to pivot the way that we are working to enable us to get the best advantages out of technology. So for me, it's gone beyond the future. We're now at the reality. We're at the point where the money is there, the will is there, the regulations are getting there. And we've now got to the point where these are now becoming substantive, integrated elements to our healthcare system and will really play a huge part in the healthcare of the future. I guess there's two lenses to look at this development and where where we are and where we're going. One is through the technology and one is through adoption and acceptance of that technology. Because soon we can get to the point where we are diagnosing, you know, whether it's the bowel cancer example that I gave earlier, whether it's the COPD piece from a geospatial point of view, why is it that we expect a clinician to be just an expert for their local patch? Is there something unique about a bowel in your region that they wouldn't be able to diagnose a bowel in their neighbouring region? As a non-expert in bowels, I assume not. But why can't we have, you know, an expert from the UK diagnose someone in Bangalore? Why can't we get a Bangalorean doctor to diagnose a Scottish patient and vice versa? What is it that is stopping that? Yeah, at the moment, it's increasingly less likely that the stopper or blocker is technology. The blocker at the moment is acceptance and adoption and trust in that system. So what we're doing as the catapult is trying to give examples where we can build credibility and build that trust in some of those things and allow people to test and experiment those things as long as they're on that journey that says we're testing it because we want to see it come to pass. We're not in the business of testing things because it's, you know, it's a fun pastime. We're doing it because there's patient outcomes at stake here. So we're starting to see the emergence of what are being referred to as living labs where the lab itself is an environment, not only to look at the technology that you could use in these pathways, but to, with a group of people, both suppliers, end users, acute hospitals, commissioners, all together, working through a pathway and a complete system and saying, how can we best interject technology into that process? And that means that no longer do we become technology-led? Here's a nice piece of technology. Where might we put it? We do it the other way around. Here's the healthcare challenge. What are the problems with that healthcare pathway? And where would a piece of technology help? And that really is, I think, the future of transformational healthcare. Thanks to Emily Gravestock, Adrian Smith and John VC for taking the time to talk to us about some of the incredible innovations we can look forward to in our health and wellbeing sectors. And to the Satellite Applications Catapult for making this podcast possible. To hear future episodes of In Orbit, be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. And if you'd like to find out more between episodes about how space is empowering industries, then visit the Catapult website or join them on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook. Goodbye.